This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Why my 26 year old still grew up wanting to be on Ad Age's top? We, one of my kids ran up to me, he's like, we made, GE, we do, GE's been a brand that's gotten a lot of credit for a lot of the work that we've done in the last five years. He's like, we made an Ad Age's top 10 hit list. And I'm like, the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, like, he's like, I've always wanted to be on it. And I was pumped for him, because I grew up wanting to be in the wine spectator, and I have empathy. Like, if this is your craft, if this is what you always knew, if your dad and mom did this, I don't wanna, I don't wanna destroy that. I just want people to understand, it's dangerous to be, the quickest way to go out of business is to be romantic about how you make your money. It's the quickest way. And we're, li- you know, listen guys, I wish, just, I, I didn't get to tell the full story, I built Wine Library and direct mail, outdoor radio, outdoor <laughs> radio, te- local television, full page ads in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. I wish that marketing didn't change. I had it figured out. I, I have 1.2 million followers on Twitter. Do you know how sad I am that Twitter's fucking losing attention? fucking worked seven years answering all you fucking questions that I fucking, like, I'm pissed. But it doesn't change the fact that that's what's happening. And so if I have to stay up till three in the morning to figure out how Musical.ly works, because 60 million, 60 million people are using it monthly from zero seven months ago, and if I wanna sell a 16 year old something, I need to know. Yeah, I mean, I will literally walk back in here four years from now and be like, you guys are doing Facebook, you fucking idiots? A hundred percent, absolutely. It's why I've been such a big advocate of Facebook because out of all the people I've ever met in my life, forget about in business, in my life, I truly believe that Mark Zuckerberg understands EQ more than any, it's so funny because the movie really did a number for him in a good way. They made him see, like the whole story, he didn't build Facebook for a girl. Hollywood's so fucking interesting, anyway. He, he's, his emotional intelligence is so extreme. It's how we became friends back then. It's how I got in. Because he was able to tell, well this guy gets it and like, in a way that like, you know. He, um, the reason the algorithm was so brilliant is the only thing Zucks gives a shit about is attention. It's why I bought Instagram. Oh, this is good, Pierce Morgan is a London guy, good. I was on CNN the day Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars because six months earlier, News Corp, another one, they had The Daily, remember The Daily? I, I did a show on The Daily once a week about business stuff and tech stuff. I, I had a prediction show at the end of the year and I predicted that Facebook would buy Instagram. So four months later they buy it and I get to be on CNN with peers and talk about it. And I go that they stole it. And I don't know if you remember this, this is two years ago. They, Instagram was 551 days old and they spent a billion dollars on it. People lost their shit. Like a lot of people in America and the world didn't even know what Instagram was yet. And a billion dollars is a lot of money. And it was a lot of money two years ago compared to today. It's just the way the world works. And I go on the show and I go, he stole it. I get out of the studio and there's thousands of people saying I'm an idiot on Twitter. I saved every one of them. When WhatsApp was bought for $18 billion, I ironically went on vacation Turks and Caicos with my wife and the first day I laid on the beach, pulled up all those tweets and replied to every single person (laughs) on Twitter and said, now what, bitch? (laughs) But the reason I predicted that Zucks bought Instagram and the reason Mark Zuckerberg, think about this guys, Mark tried to buy Snapchat for $3 billion 18 months ago. The one thing he understands better than anybody executing right now is attention is the only asset and so he keeps trying to buy the thing that will arbitrage him out. They probably were like you and I when we were focused on our career and getting there 
You know, Mark Cuban's funny when he said a girlfriend said it was me or the business, and he said, what's your name again? <laughs> so, you know, we all got to that point, right, in our lives. At what point did you get to the point where you said, okay, now I have to flip the 80-20, and now I have to go and start being with my family, and I have to make sure I put that time in, and I have to, because you probably had a healthy paranoia like me, like, listen, I've done so much to get here. I, I have to stay. And before you know it, your life can go like that, right? Blank. And now I know it's extremely important to go home with your family. I have a new 11-month-old, and I know you, you have a, a young, young baby at home. At what point in your life did you say, wait a minute, let me find a healthy balance? Or, or did it start from the beginning? I haven't. Or... Yeah. I'm going to tell you guys the truth. I haven't. Meaning, I run them in parallel. I'm not crippled by the current political correctness of parenting. You're looking at a kid who didn't see his dad until he was 14 years old and we have the greatest relationship of all time and I love him and he slept home every single night but I never saw him once. That doesn't mean my workaholic nature will work for me and my kids. I don't take that for granted. I, I think that you need to know how to breathe. I know what makes me breathe. My family makes me breathe but I've gotta do what I wanna do. Like I have to, I'll just break. And so I, I think of it as in, in extremes. The reason I answered I don't is I don't think you find balance in any way other than your own balance. And I think that over communication with your partner and the variables in that relationship are the key. Right now I have that conversation with my wife. In coming years I'll have those conversations with my kids. But for me, I'm very concerned about people posturing to work-life balance when I know that work-life balance is extremely individual. Everybody in here has different work-life balance. You also have different work-life balance at different times in your life. I didn't have as much work-life balance as some other people the last five years, but it now also allows me to afford to have work-life balance with my children and my family in a very different way as my daughter Misha is now seven and she can go on business trips with me. The only conversation I had to have was with my wife saying, school's bullshit, be okay with me taking Misha out of school for two days. She might miss what a science test, but she'll always remember going with daddy to Anaheim. He gave a talk and then we went to Disneyland for the day, right? So I think that um, my answer to that is I haven't. I work on it every day. I communicate it with my wife often. Do you work on it internally? Because see, I, internally. I wanna know, what, what do you do because I have 10 goals. I read this the first time I ever read this in Think and Grow Rich when I was 16 years old. I goal set and every single night, five nights of the week, I read 10 goals at night before I go to bed because I want to dream about those and I read the same 10 goals in the morning when I wake up. Does that work? Because when I was like in high school, I used to try to dream about hooking up with chicks but then it would switch quickly to some other shit. Well my six goals, my six goals are about health, faith, and religion. Whatever cases they expire in six months and then I have three other goals, five years, 10 years, 20 years. Do you have any kind of method like no. that? As you say, you're working on it. I'm the most binary dude you'll meet. I love the journey. I wish health and happiness, like health for my family is like, like big. I feel I, you know, you guys have known me and I've known myself through a very lucky period which has been my entire life which is, you know, three of my four grandparents died before I was born or one died right after so I never knew them. Um, we have a very small family, right? I have three cousins, you know, so um, I just haven't dealt with a whole lot of death. Like, you know, I think when I have to deal with death in my inner circle, I'm curious how I'm gonna play it out, but I, uh, I'm really binary. Like, I love the process more than the riches and the fames. I have that goal to buy the New York Jets. That makes it fun, that's a big goal. 
it'll take me some time to do that. When people ask me, when are you gonna buy the Jets? And I always say 25 years from now, they're disappointed, I'm pumped. <laughs> I've always found that fact, it's amazing to me. Like, like they're like literally disappointed. I'm like, I'm like, it's $3 billion, I have work to do. Um, uh, but yeah, man, Damon, I'll, I'll tell you, like, I, uh, I want legacy. I think the reason I'm liked is because I'll reply to somebody who says they're on the way here to see me talk on Twitter and reply to her. Like, like I, I've, I'm playing a different game. I, uh, Tyler filming today's Daily V, he had, I met with a former employee and he flat out like broke the wall and he was like, dude, I just have to ask you like, why did you take that meeting? It's a former employee, one that you fired, one that came to tell you that they were sorry for not getting it. She pitched you stuff. You didn't get anything out of it. Like, I think the way you put it was, you could have used that time to make money or, something, or do business. And, and I said, he said, why'd you do that? And I said, because making money isn't the only thing that interests me. You want a lot of sense. Um, so, okay, on that, on that same kind of thought pattern, growing up you know, with your dad running the, the, the wine, I, I think that uh, we're finding a lot of our clients are second, third generation car dealers that are taking over granddad's or dad's store. I mean, that's happening all over the country. And there is this complete different mentality of how they look to run the store versus how dad and granddad ran the store. My dad, we're finding I, I, a lot of challenges. Right. So, so my so dad, you know, this is where I can't speak from experience. Let me explain. Cannot. My dad gave a 22 year old kid full autonomy the day I walked in. Right. Now I earned it from 14 to 22, right. every summer, every weekend. At the time I didn't get it, I'm 41 years old now, my dad was 44. Wow. You know, I've been to enough of these, right. you know, these, you're, you're talking about the shift from 71 year old Stan to 47 year old Stan Jr. Right. My dad was 44 right. and he did that. So I can't sit here and say anything because what my dad did was the minority. My dad benefited from that and he deserved it. He trusted a winner and he put me in as a rookie. Uh, so I'll answer this multiple ways. If you're the kid and you may be 50 because your dad's 80 and just now thinking about it. Uh, if you're the kid, I don't want to sit on a high horse. Like you have to base, there, there's no such thing as two cooks in the kitchen. The reason there's so much friction is because there's two cooks in the kitchen. Grandpappy, dad doesn't want to fully give it up. They want, granddad and grandpappy and dad want to have their cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. They want to work less because they fucking work and they grind and they're tired but they still want full control. Problem is, next generation doesn't like that because they're like, wait a minute, if I'm in the store 70 hours a week and you're here for 18 and it's time for me and this and that, so it's very hard. I really know family businesses. Here's what I would say. More communication, less crying. You know, if, you, if, if it's not working out for you, 41-year-old Stan, leave. Right. Now, the great question is, do they, you know, like that's what I hate about second generation, third generations, they're always complaining and I'm like, so leave. And it's golden handcuffs, right? Um, what I don't think they think of as a winner. So I would have left. I would have left. Right. If my dad didn't give me autonomy, I wouldn't have done it. Because right. I'm a winner. Right. And my dad, if he didn't play it that way, would have folded. And you know, you know how many people are watching right now who've never true like leave. Right. Don't threaten to leave. Because right. dad thinks you have golden handcuffs. Right. Yeah, you're leaving. You're a right. D student, right. you got nowhere to go, right. and you're overpaid for what it is now, and you're inheriting this. Right. 
So if you're so great, leave. If you're not, if you're a D student and you're not that talented and you don't have any options, shut your fucking mouth. Right. Wait for your dad to die. Right. I'm being dead serious. Yeah, yeah, no, this is real. This is this is real talk. This is as real. This is about as real as it gets. D Rock, I want this for myself too. I'm glad you're recording. That's real. It is. Right. It's not super complicated. Right. If you're a winner at 40, and your dad's not giving you autonomy, go do you. Secretly, right. probably save money for two years so you have a few minutes to pull off whatever the hell you're up to. Right. Go do it. Yeah. Or if you think you're so great, you go and leave, and let dad cry and have you come back, and now you're on your terms. Right. Or, if you're so great, go leave, win, and watch dad lose, that's even the best. Yeah. I mean it, by the way. Yeah. You don't want your dad to be sad, but if you're so sad for the last 15 years that you've been suppressed and you don't have your chance, don't be mad at dad. He put in the work and he still does want his cake and eat it too. And guess what, it was his business and maybe he took it from his dad. I don't, fine, but you're not gonna change it by crying and complaining to you guys or your wife or the wife to the husband because she's trying to take over. You gotta do you. You gotta play the actual game of meritocracy. And so either you're good enough or you're not. And if you're not getting the chance, go stick it to them. Nothing feels better to me than to prove to people that don't think I can win. This company is the best. When I started VaynerMedia, big Madison Avenue agencies, billion dollar holding companies, people said the Twitter wine boy is thinking, sticking it to their face, that's the most delicious. (laughs) So if you're so good, go do it. Like if my dad owned a car dealership and he wasn't giving me a day of bat, I would do a three-year plotted plan to save every money, wouldn't spend a penny on anything, no trip to Miami, no going to sporting events, save every dollar, and then I would open a dealership down the street and put them out of business. So my question today is just, uh, for the people, like you get to hang around cool-ass people, like okay. Tony, Tony Robbins and uh, Adam Gerard and all those awesome people. Okay. Is there anything that you notice that they have in common and that you really think they make them uberly successful? And on the other flip side of that, is there anything that you notice among, uh, not necessarily failures in life, but people who just fucked up, that, uh, excuse my language, but uh, that- Don't that, worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that really make them kind of mess up in life. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's a really great question. It's really hard, and the truth is we're all individual, but I will say that I do believe the people that care less about what other people think about them tend to have a better life. It's just liberating. And, and the truth is, you think it's the people that troll you in comments. I'm actually talking about your parents. And like, like the, I genuinely believe that self-esteem is the ultimate drug in life. That, that I'm obsessed with driving self-esteem into my children, my mom did that for me. And listen, there's a very fine line between self-esteem and delusion, right? There's a very fine line, but the reality is there are just so many people sitting here that are broken inside because they care what their older brother thinks about their behavior or what their husband thinks about their behavior or what their mom said to them growing up. And I don't really know how to break that. What I'm trying to do with my life is in parallel achieve what I want for me. But the reason I document so much is I'm trying to become the injection of audacity into the people that watch me that gives them the courage to take the jump into the pool that they're scared to swim in. And so people are just being held back by other people's opinions. And that's deep stuff that you can't really hack at. I'm trying to play my tiny little part, but I would say that's the differentiation. Like it's unbelievable to me. I, uh, I tweeted something which was an inside tweet without context for my company, which was insecurity leads to politics. The people at VaynerMedia that are so talented, that are so about to win, that I'm about to fire because they're insecure and that leads them to terrible behavior, 
It breaks my heart, and we try hard. My crew's there, they know, we try hard. We pound at them, we try to make them feel safe. We have a chief heart officer, I do my thing. We have a good culture, I try. But insecurity is a killer. It leads to all the bad shit. And so it's the difference between self-confidence and insecurity. It's the difference of like, listen, being self-promotional and putting yourself out there, there's so many people that have opinions about me. As long as the people that actually know me have the opinions they have versus the people that have never met me but they heard me say fuck on stage, like as long as I'm good with the people that actually can look under the hood, then I'll always win. So if you feel good about who you actually are, you need to get loud. And if you don't, fix your shit. Thanks, Gary. You got to Russell. I took over my dad's business in 1998, and in a five-year window, from 1998 to 2003, on a business that had very little profit, my first year, the entire marketing budget was fifteen to $20,000 for the year. And from 1998 to 2003, I built that business from a four to a $60 million business, all on the back of everything that I wanna talk about today. Back then, it was email marketing. How many people here have done email marketing in their career? Raise your hands. Raise it high. You're gonna love this. In 1997, I had a 200,000 person email newsletter selling wine that had 91% open rates. <laughs> Don't clap, I wasn't special. It was that nobody else was email marketing in 1996. How many people here had email in 1996? Anybody, raise your hands, raise it high. Okay, so for the 50 of you, you remember what I remember. In 1996, you read every fucking email (laughs) and every word. Because my friends, more than I know that the sun will come up tomorrow, I know that marketers ruin every platform. And in 1996, email had not been ruined yet, and that's why I had 91% open rates, and I built my business on the back of email marketing, while my competitors were sending catalogs in the mail, spending $7 to make a catalog and putting a stamp on it, I had already sold the wine to those people two weeks, four weeks, six weeks earlier for zero cost. And then a little thing came along called Google. And that was good for me because they had an ad product called Google AdWords. And the day that Google AdWords came out, how many people here have worked on Google AdWords in their career? Figured. The day that Google AdWords came out, I bought every wine term you can imagine. Wine, Cabernet, Napa Valley, Bordeaux. And it cost me back then, for the first seven months, the minimum was five cents a click, not 10 cents a click. So for the first seven months that the Google AdWords platform was out, I owned the majority of the 200 most searched wine terms for five cents a click before anybody bid me up. And so this became the pattern. Email marketing, first actually having a website, then email marketing, then Google AdWords. And I was rolling and I was rolling and I was rolling and for all intensive purposes, I had made it, right? We had a family liquor business, now we're a $60 million company. I had to buy my car at a garage sale. My brother AJ got a brand new Lexus. We made it, right? And then YouTube comes. And YouTube comes out and I look at it in 2005 and I say this is gonna change the world. I thought YouTube was gonna be huge. And so within the first nine months of YouTube being a platform, I started a show called Wine Library TV where in 2006, I used to sit in front of a camera with four bottles of wine, and for 20 minutes, I would drink them. (laughs) 
this was the first time in my career that I was building an audience and then they were buying wine for me on winelibrary.com and it was the first time ever that I was selling product not by running advertising but by doing content, by being a media company, not by being an advertiser and it hit me very seriously. But what hit me way more, my friends, was that only a couple months later, YouTube sold to Google for $1.6 billion. And to remind, how many people were in tech or media or advertising in 2006? Love it. So you guys remember, that number seemed like a trillion dollars. We didn't have $2 billion X. That would be literally, literally like if you woke up tomorrow and saw that Musical.ly sold for $1.5 trillion. It was massive. It seemed like so much money. And I remember waking up that morning and realizing, you know what? Website, email, Google AdWords, now YouTube. I have this talent, and it's the only talent that I have. Listen, I get to be the hottest speaker, and I get all that smoke. Uh, You're all here. I get it, it's very funny to me, and it's something I wanna talk to you about. It's it's about self-awareness. What I really wanna talk to some of the entrepreneurs in here is you need to figure out who you are. It blows my mind that I am average and extremely below average in so many things, most things almost everything, but there's one little thing I'm super good at, which is I'm unemotional around human behavior. I don't judge what you're gonna do. I don't care where the world's going. I just watch what you do and I move very quickly. And in that intuition and in that non-romantic point of view, in that unemotional, it is what it is and human beings evolve, in that I have found my career and I realized I had a talent And I said to myself, okay, enough. Website, email, Google AdWords, YouTube. Yes, I've built a good wine company, but the next time I feel that feeling, and that's what it was, all four of those things, just a feeling, just goosebumps, just a feeling. I said, the next time I feel that, I'm gonna invest and become an angel investor because the money is far greater than if I sell some more Bordeaux. And in 2007 and 2008, the first three companies I felt that for and invested in were called Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Oh, oh hello. Hey, this is yeah. Gary V on the Ask Gary V Show, and Andy doesn't know your name. Who are you? Hey, I'm man. I can't believe this. Uh, my name talks to Bill, but I'm uh, from a uh, former Soviet country as well. Uh, you can call me Bill. No problem. How are you? I can call you what? I want to make sure I hear this right. Sorry, what? What? What can we call you? Bill? Bill? Or yeah. Gil? Gil or Bill? G I L or B I L L? B I L L. Bill, Bill. I, I was right, Morgan. You're right. One, Bill. zero, Bill. Gary. Bill, <laughs> first of all, you know, I've got a tough name. Your name is incredible. And I appreciate uh, being able to call you Bill. And I will practice to call you by your appropriate name. Where, where are you now? I'm actually in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Very nice. So, from the former Soviet Union like me, in Minnesota now, uh, what is your question, my friend? My impression? Uh, no, your question. Yes, well, you actually, what, what is, is your, your impression? impression? Yes. No, no, do an impression. We, we, we need an impression both. first. Or your impression on us, and then a question. I want both the impression oh. and the question. Oh, okay. So, I know, man. So, I'm from Mongolia, former Soviet country as well. And, Gary, you are becoming a very big figure in Mongolia as well. So, like, um, 
Today is actually a big day is happening in Mongolia. Today is a presidential election, and Mongolians are tending to be choose first very entrepreneur yes. president for yes. the first time. Yes, and I would say like you had a, a great impact on that as well because like um, lots of millennials have been like introducing you to their audience in Mongolia. So hold on, Bill. So Before I, you go any further, yeah. I just want to make sure I quantify this. Are you saying that I'm having an impact on the Mongolian presidential election right now? Yes, but okay. not as high, but minimum like impact. I appreciate it. I'm obviously making a joke, <laughs> but I'm stunningly flattered. Even huge. if I'm having a point zero 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 one percent Huge in Mongolia. I appreciate it, Bill. <laughs> Thank you for that. And your question for Morgan and I? Well, Do you so have I'm, one? An international, I'm an international student from Mongolia you know, yes. in the United States. Yes. So I'm on an international student visa. Yes. So if you, if you can say I, I actually have like a less right than a legal immigrant in some situations. So what would be your suggestions to international students who is trying to start his business in the United States, but trying to not just be restricted in the United States, but also in Mongolia and the United States, like, have tried to have a connection. Yeah, yeah, I think I think there's so I think you take advantage of the time that you're here and you and you mm-hmm. do practical things, not romantic things. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't force what I'm about to say, but it would be the, the thing that would be on my mind. My second day, my excuse me, my first day of high school, there was a kid in my homeroom named Brandon Warnicky who I hit it off with. Actually, I laughed, I laughed at the way they pronounced his name and then everybody laughed, so he hated me for the first day. <laughs> but later, we became very good friends. And literally, literally, I knew that I was looking for a business partner in my future, my freshman year of high school. And to this day, here we are 27 years later, and Brandon Warnicky runs the wine library with my dad. So, so what I would say is, while you're here, finding somebody that you trust that could mm-hmm. become your business partner. If the circumstances okay. don't allow you to stay here in the US that could hold down US operations would be yeah. my number one. I would literally meet people, meet people at scale. Every second meeting people, that would be the two things I would try to do if I were you based on the question is learn the American culture of business and the market mm-hmm. and meet mm-hmm. as many people as possible who could be future collaborators, whether as extreme as a business partner or just mm-hmm. business connections for the next 80 years. Morgan? That's, no, that's that's a, that's a great suggestion because I when I look at my, like my, the, the film business as is, as is just the investment business, it's a very incestuous universe. Like people go from job to job to job and it becomes a, as big as you think the pool is, it does become a much smaller pool of people who really have control and influence and can help shape things. And the more you peop- meet the people now that are within these positions are that are on kind of on the hockey stick up, you meet them, they're kind of on a track to to become a manager here, run this side of a division here, invest here. Like, like identifying those people now as they will continue to grow and those opportunities are gonna be the people that five years from now, 10 years from now, are gonna be the people that are gonna be running the companies you wanna work with. And and I love all the time how many of the people that I started out in the film business now that are that are really huge players. Players, players, players at agencies, players at studios, Bill, it's incredible. Bill, life, life is only about relationships and it's compounded in former dictatorships and communist countries where relationship is the currency. Yeah. You know, here, here, 
back to a meeting I had earlier today where he said, what's amazing about America is no matter where your family started, he said whether slavery or immigration, somewhere eventually in your family line, there's an opportunity. West Virginia is not the hotbed, right? So, Completely. Bill, I would say you've gotta triple down on your relationship investment, as many people as you can meet, as many, the Chamber of Commerce in Minnesota, meetup.com, every Minnesota meetup, that has entrepreneurs and business people, go to them, shake hands, kiss babies, build relationships. Wow, okay. I never thought about that, to be honest. Bill, Thank you, guys. That's and, incredible. And, and that excites me, and it's funny that I gave you that advice because it is a very common, cliche, stereotypical uh, characteristic of Eastern European, non-US business people to not be kind of shake hand, you know, we keep to ourselves in the former USSR, right? Yeah. So I yeah. gave you that advice kind of out of intuition as well. I don't think, so people don't realize how much it's the people part and not the movie you make, the product you sell, the big idea you come up with. It'll be, I'm really happy you called and got through because I think it's great advice for you, but I also think it's great advice for a lot of people listening and watching. All right, wonderful. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Gary and Morgan. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Take you, care. Gary, what's up? Life is good, my man. Hey, Gary, what's going on? Uh, Danny Gould, uh, selling Silicon Valley. It's my D-Rock right here, Dusty. Uh, so I have a YouTube channel right now, Facebook channel. Uh, really, right now, I'm, I'm doing a lot of, of just daily vlogs, yep. right? And so... You know, you talk about you know reverse engineering and and bringing value, disproportionate value to those that you're that you're trying to market to, as yep. opposed to what you expect in return. And yep. you know, right now my business is doing really well, my real estate business, right? But I'm looking at this vlog thing as more of a a, a long term, like you know, personal brand, celebrity type of uh, endeavor, right? right? So then, you know, I, I understand how to bring value to my community per se. But then, like, how, as a daily vlogger, do I actually bring value to people that I don't even know? That right. Or in, that are not in real estate, right? Or that are not right. in real estate or have I, no interest in real estate. I, I, think, uh, I think you've only got one move to really be successful, which is to not pander to the camera and to live your true life and see if people give a fuck. <laughs> That's the right answer, right? Because, because either they are or they aren't, but the thing that you need to trade on is your truth because that's the thing that's scalable because it's always there. You know how fun it is for me to always just always have to be me? It's, it's super exhausting to try not, not be yourself and it doesn't scale and people taste it. So the reason reality TV worked was it was a little further than acting but it's still full of shit which is why vlogging's better than reality TV and so, and I think the, thing, the people that you see pop are really in their zone. They're not trying to become a celebrity per se. Right. They want what celebrity brings, which is celebrity is the number one arbitrage in our society. Like it is the number one arbitrage in our society. It's leverage at scale. But I think when people try to pander to it, it comes off. So I, what my biggest advice for you, man, is to just Live your actual life. I think the biggest problem for the modern young male entrepreneur vlogger personality is they're, they're fronting to a lifestyle that isn't always true to the reality of what they're living and then it just gets convoluted, right? It's like, right. you know, like people are starting to already get called out for like making pretend they're taking private flights but they're not, that's hit this, right? <laughs> so so I, I, I would give you a really good piece of advice from somebody who I think really knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. 
just live it. Just live your fucking life. Like that's, you'll do much better. Sweet, thank you. So I started speaking on teen suicide prevention when I was 16. Love it. Um, after some experience I went through and right now I'm really growing my media and I'm really focusing on being a media company. So yes. I started podcasting and the question I have is with daily vlogging. Yes. So this might also, DRock might jump in, but I'm logistically thinking of daily vlogging and what's the process of getting, of your daily vlog getting up on YouTube? Do you post it the day after you film it? Is we've, it the next we've, week? We've done a bunch of stuff. I think the first couple of weeks, it took us like three days. Then we went through a period of, a long period of doing it the next day. Okay. Uh, and now we're like on a two day delay, um, even though we have more people. I mean, DRock went through a hardcore year of like filming the whole thing and right. then having to edit it and getting it out the next day. Mm. Um, I think you can do anything. I mean, I think, okay. I think you, need, you can't cripple yourself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my buddy Casey stopped vlogging, so right. the next day I was like, I'm gonna vlog every day to pick up the thing, but then literally in my vlog yesterday, I was like, you know, the summer's coming, I feel like I need a little more time with my family and don't wanna be thinking about producing content, so maybe I won't. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's about reverse engineering what you can get done, and for me, you know, only two years ago, three years ago, there was three people on my team making content, you know, it took me four years to build up VaynerMedia to have one person work with me on my content. Prior to that, it was just me. And now I'm at 15. I mean, you build. You build right, and you do course. different things. And so I think, um, I think the process is as fast as you fucking can. Okay, so do you think, it's it's, do you think a daily vlog is valuable enough over something like sales? Because I do a lot of sales to high schools, colleges, conferences. This is the classic branding versus sales, right? Right. I think you need to sell at the most minimum to make you whole for whatever you need, pay your bills, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that, but, and then invest as much as you can in building your brand. So media comes after sales. You would recommend? You gotta pay your fucking bills, bro. Exactly. <laughs> well, right now I'm living at home. Well, then you're fucking so. smart. <laughs> so to me now, it just becomes a question of how much money you want. Exactly. My big recommendation is, listen, I only give advice that I took myself. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of that. I took over my family liquor store business and I grew up from a three at this, at this window that I'm talking about from a three to a $45 million business in my early 20s, right? I'm 27 years old, I built a $45 million business and I was paying myself $37,000 a year. But I wasn't the typical dude that needed money as a leverage to get girls. Exactly, I don't, and that's the thing is I don't need a lot of money right now, so I'm wondering whether to build myself up as a speaker without really worrying about the sales aspect of, of it. Of so, course. Right, and as you say that, I think that's of what course. Gary Vee would say. <laughs> I, hear your head, I hear your voice in my head sometimes, and I think Gary Vee would say that. <laughs> sometimes I dream about you answering my, actually I had, a, I had a question earlier, last time I dreamed about you answering my question. I guess. So, <laughs> so your content is so effective. <laughs> Now, off of that little story, mm -hmm. watch what I'm doing, not what I'm saying. Yes. Um, so, you, you're talking about like the profitability of the company. Um, do you see that as a fault to an extent? No, I see it as a strength. Why is Be that? Because I'm able to invest into the culture and people for the long-term output. 
the reason I've grown two businesses unbelievably fast by the standards of that industry is because of that. I think people want to take money home and I don't. I mean, I do-ish, but not to give up the long term, right? I need something to survive. You know, your, your world changes. Like Eric's shaking his head because he knew when I was 28 years old and built a huge fucking business, I lived in a shit fucking apartment in Springfield, New Jersey. And you worked in Chitty's office, possible, with all of us. Yeah, I mean, look, like the, the, the thing, that, thing that I know that people don't know is like, I wouldn't buy my truth. So why, <laughs> so why would I expect you guys to? But it's real. It's super fucking real. I worked every fucking minute, you know? Uh, so, no, I think it's a strength. I think, uh, and I don't put myself in a position to owe anybody anything. Like, there's no, I'm not public. I don't have partners that have leverage, right? So. When you get to invest, you have something. I actually think the biggest weakness all of you will have is when you get into any level of money, you'll buy dumb shit instead of saving it, investing it, and then not realizing that at 34 you could have so much more than, and you won't even remember the dumb shit you had at 26. That if you literally took that money and put it into Facebook and Amazon and just sat pat, that you would just have a lot more money. Like when Eric, when Google went public, Eric made his uncle, I think, or aunt or somebody buy it. But like, and he was making, he was making no money and had no money. But like even so, whatever he bought, he should have still put into Google because he was right. You know? And you gotta invest early. If you invest early and you invest stuff that you never have to touch, like people, the reason people lose in investing is it's their actual money. So instead of putting in a bank for their rent or college loans, they put into the market and then the market dips and they panic and they take it out and they lost money. But the reason Warren Buffett's the richest is you basically need America to collapse, which then you've got bigger problems than to not invest in the market in America and just never think about that money. It's actually stunningly basic. So like literally if you have money right now, you should invest it into Amazon or Facebook and ne- like all of it and never think again. Now you should probably diversify it. That's the right, right way to think. <laughs> but I just know those two companies aren't going anywhere. What would you do to take Twitter to the next level from like a platform standpoint? I would do a lot of things. I like what they're doing with, I would definitely become an OTT. So I think everybody should become an OTT. So don't forget, Twitter still has market share on home screen on phones at scale. Like to me the two companies, Twitter and Spotify are super interesting because I think they're undervalued for what they have because of many different reasons. Spotify has an amazing amount of subscriptions and like is valuable and Twitter has enormous amounts of attention and is valuable. I would blow out the OTT, make it more and more about original program because you gotta understand Netflix isn't Netflix until Orange and News Black, until House of Cards. Twitter can do that, especially as we're getting closer to the phone being the remote control to your bigger screen in your home. So I would continue to do what they're doing there and I would, I would probably, I'd probably get aggressive of eliminating all frictions of content creation. So I would, I would eliminate the 140 character limit um, for sure. I think it was a great gateway for the product, but is just irrelevant now. Like to, Twitter has to compete as a CMS, and you have to give people the ability to make all sorts of content 
that they want to. And I think limitations are a negative. I think Instagram should eliminate the length of the video because I think a lot of people here would watch seven minute videos on Instagram and I think a lot of people aren't producing seven minute videos for Instagram, they're producing now. They obviously own Facebook where that ends up but I do believe a high percentage of those videos end up on YouTube that don't need to and that's a land grab that Instagram can make. I think, I think restrictions are amazing strategy for, for gathering users and then I think they become detrimental after a period of time and so I would definitely eliminate that and I would push harder to make it more visual and less written because I just think you have, I think, I think Twitter's fighting the market and I think you shouldn't. I think Jack's already done some little things that have been better, like just little things that don't seem big like the heart instead of the star. These are nice little subtle things that they're uh, conforming. Um, I would also bet the farm on voice. I would become a very big sound place for podcasts and, and for uh, uh, skills if they can get there or just voice. Listen, put it out and put yourself into a corner. I'm gonna make a video, a mu- one minute music video. Every fucking day. One minute Megalis. Hashtag one minute Megalis or whatever the fuck you wanna call it. And have people replicate it too. And you will fucking win. Yeah. People will be like, this is, do you know what the first one's gonna, do you know if you actually listen to me, do it right now and tomorrow make the first one what's gonna happen? Everybody's gonna leave a comment like, this is what I fucking love. And they're gonna tag the fuck out of all their friends who all came up with in junior high who are now seniors in high school and being like, it. I feel it. I, somebody, I need, it. somebody needs to give you permission to do the magic that you do. Don't let people judge and don't you judge something that you're magical at. Sometimes, don't you wish you could choose what your abilities are? Nope. What I want to <laughs> do. You get what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And let me give you the answer you're looking for. No. What I do instead is I go so deep in those abilities, take all the leverage you that comes. yourself in it. And then take all the leverage that comes with it so then I can afford to do the stuff that I want to do. That is amazing advice. I know. And I didn't even have to pay you for it. That's right. Incredible. I'm dead serious. I know. That's great fucking advice. That's what I want you to do. Do what you fucking do better than anybody on earth, which is, Nicholas, you literally can make the best music videos on Instagram in the world. You can do that. You. That's insane. Do you know how fucking pissed I am that I can't do that? I would have 49 million followers. Yeah. I would be bigger than everybody. You can do that. Okay. And then when you have that leverage, guess who's calling? EDM. Guess who wants to give you record deals? All the people. And you can do it again. I did it. Cool. Do you know that I was ahead of, I was, listen to how heartbreaking this is for me. I was on YouTube four months after it came out. I predicted it to be the biggest thing. I then left YouTube and went to Viddler. It was a big mistake of mine. I then lallygagged for years. And had, when DRock hit me up, how long ago DRock now? Two years and, two and a half years ago. I had 40,000 subscribers on YouTube. Like, it was like a non-factor. Seven and a half years of being right before the world and I had 40,000. And, and, and I wasn't embarrassed like all these A-list celebrities to go on networks. Not. I was like, I don't care what my number is. I know where it's gonna end up. So, of course, I've always I don't that. care where I my number is. I, I know that. where it's gonna end up. That's great. You are one of the great storytellers in the format that we live in today. Yes. I do not see almost anybody else have the ability to literally have the ability to make 365 fucking music videos. Sick no here. one does. I know. Uh-huh. It is this, 
in four months, it will be the thing everybody okay. looks forward okay. to every single fucking day. Okay. In four months. Okay. In four months, I'm gonna do Daily V fucking 209, 234, 219, and I'm gonna be like, hey, did you guys see what happened to Nicholas today? He's on fucking the Corden show for the fucking I Eat Sandpaper on Thursdays. Okay, okay. <clears throat> And I'm gonna be like, let's recall me telling him to do this in the trailer. That's gonna be my episode in four months. That's how talented you are. Cool. I wish everybody in this conference, including myself, by the way, who spends all his time on this, I wish we had better perspective. I wish that there was some fucking crazy, that dude right there with the weird fucking horse t-shirt, I wish he was some weird genie that could take us back into time 80 years ago so that every one of you could live one fucking day in your great great grandparents shoes and understand how fucking good you have it. Like if you really really understood how amazing the era we live in. And listen, I'm not I'm not like naive to what's happening in our society. I'm aware of the political current climate. I'm aware of everything. Let me just say this very clear so everybody gets it through their fucking dome. This is the greatest year to ever be alive in the history of mankind. I am, I am super empathetic. Again, when you make those kind of statements, do I believe that there is suppression around, of course, but at a macro data, macro data, health, life expectancy, how much hate and negativity actually is in the complete world versus, this is the best. We have it the best. And all I see is people sitting around and dwelling around dumb shit around what they don't have instead of focusing on what they do have. My friends, the internet is a fucking miracle. It's a fucking miracle. The scalability in which you can achieve, the things that you could be doing, the fact that you could be laying fucking naked in your bed at two in the morning and doing productive shit is fucking crazy. It's crazy. When, if you've got your side hustle, this is a young fucking ass crap. If you're thinking about your side hustle or if you're crushing it with these guys and doing side hustle, there was no side hustle for your great grandparents. Like, like when it was 9 p.m., it was dark and cold outside. Like shit, like you could, it wasn't practical. We take things for granted. Do you know how upset? You know how like, you know what's crazy to me? How mad I get when my internet is a hundredth of a second slower than what I'm used to. Like, like literally, like it, a hundredth of a second slower and I feel it because I'm used to what speed it's supposed to be and that's frustrating. Like on a plane because the Wi-Fi on a plane is a little slow, which is like so ridiculous because I'm on a fucking plane and then it's Wi-Fi, it's there. Like I'm old, I remember not having it. Like it's crazy how quickly we take things for granted. Like I love being my buddy. So London just banned Uber and like my buddy landed there and he's like, what the fuck am I gonna do? I'm like, I don't know what everybody's done for the last 300 years, dick face. <laughs> Take the train. <laughs> like, My thesis is if you care more about the end consumer than you care about your own self, you will win. So I talk a lot about 5149 for people that really follow my content. I really live it. I really genuinely live it. I never make short-term financial decisions. Um, I'm always trying to bring more value to the other party. I do that for a couple reasons. Number one, I think I'm talented enough to get quite a bit in my 49. I also think it's unbelievable leverage 
I also think it's a nice legacy. I think it's nice to do. I think it's a nice legacy to have. And I do that with my interpersonal relationships and I definitely do that with my businesses. So my principles guide everything. You're right, execution's everything. And I think what's interesting about the clouds and dirt metaphor is it helps people paint a picture of what I'm most worried about, which is I believe 99% of people listening to this podcast spend an ungodly amount of time in the middle. I'll give you an example of something in the middle. Process. Process is held on such a pedestal in modern business society and I find that to be in the middle. I understand its value but I do feel that if you push hard on the clouds, your religion, and you push hard on the dirt, the actual doing, that the process gets commoditized and you go faster. And so yes, I have principles of bringing more value, the lifetime value, attention, arbitrage as I mentioned earlier, and then you know, I'm never too fancy to do. I mean, I will be honest with you, I think even this 30 minutes is a good example of that. I didn't over ask Rice, I have no clue how many people listen to your podcast. I'm never in a place where I think I'm too fancy to do the work and uh, I take a lot of pride that I'm a practitioner. I understand Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, these platforms better than most because I use them multiple times every day, 365 days a year. I think it's a huge competitive advantage and I think I think, the, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier uh, HBS and Harvard. You know, I think the thing that I've learned as not a good student and as an executor now that I'm 41 on the verge of being 42 years old is, man, a lot of things break down between theory and execution. And I am uh, I'm absolutely obsessed with execution and I do think that theory at a lot of times sits in the middle. I think you have to push yourself to the clouds to a bigger calling and I think there's no better calling than the end consumer if you're building a consumer product. Hopefully, God willing, man. Yeah, just we'll help see. now. Yeah, I mean. Seriously, it's so weird like that. It's so funny how that is. It's, it's really mindset and framework and like humility. Yeah, man. I mean, Dude, just... your humility is such a fucking strength. It's so cool. Do you feel like you ever, who's this? Dixon. Dixon? Dixon. Yeah. Dixon. Yeah, who's this? This is Gary Vaynerchuk and you're on the Ask Gary V Show with Hassan. Oh, oh, hey Gary, what's up man? Life is good. Hey man, how are you? Hey Hassan, what's up? What's happening? What's going on? Yeah, I'm going good man. Oh fucking shit, I can't believe this. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. You, you got oh a question, we're, we're here, we're not going, fuck, don't worry about fuck, God, fuck, right now. Fuck, 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 no, 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 dude, don't do this. Don't do this, don't do this. You're making us look like we're nervous. Don't do this, don't do this. Dixit, Dixit, real quick. What did you think was gonna happen when you put your phone number into Facebook? Oh, I, I just scrolled around the, you know, the comment section, I, I couldn't find my number when I opened it on my laptop. So I was about to type it again, but I don't know. <laughs> my heart is pumping at 150 rates per minute. How do you know that? Do you have some sort of device on you right now? Uh, oh, I, I don't know, I, I, I can't figure it out. I, I don't know it's, if it's a day or a night. I'm seeing a call from Gary Lee, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Dixon, do you have a question? Oh yeah, I have a question. You know, you know, both of you right now, you know, the combination is like the legend, two legends speaking at a oh time. Oh my god! So this guy's very smart. Go ahead, uh, oh, I'm sh- I'm sharing, man. Okay. Don't so worry, we're here. We're not let. Unlike comedy, where there's no down. You know, Hassan already told us no like downside or like no. You got to be tight for seconds. Yeah, there's a lot seconds. of lulls going on right minutes. now, Dixit. Dixit, we're our, we're unstopped. We're very into lulls. We want long, awkward pauses to build up suspense. So you take your time. Fire away with your question. 
Oh yeah. So the thing is, I'm an aspiring comedian. I'm writing my own shit right oh, now, man. and that's the question to Hassan. And uh, I, I just need an advice because you know, someday, five years down the line, down the line, I, I want my own Netflix. You know, filling stadiums and stadium around the world. So, so Dixon, you wanna, you want Netflix? A, a special. You want stadium tours like Kevin Hart shit, right? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and Gary, the, my question for you is, you know, I've been associated with this, you know, best network marketing company uh, in the world, and I want to be a full total a financial freedom in the next five years. Right now, I'm 24. I, I want to be financially free by 30. I don't want to work for the rest of my life. Well, you know, going understood. Work. Hassan's going to answer your other question. I'm going to tell you, do not make up arbitrary numbers of financial freedom. The quickest way to not be financially free by 30 is by deciding right now that you want to be financially free by 30. Good point. Okay. What you need to do is look every day as a day of like, like Dixit, don't buy a dumb coffee for $4.13 tomorrow. Understood? Yeah. Good. Okay, Hassan? Yeah. So you're quite, you want a Netflix special? You want stadiums, And you want to do stadiums too. All right. So I think the bottom line is uh, you wanting to be financially free by 30s. Dude, a lot easier than fucking yeah, doing Yeah, man. Uh, look, man. I, How many people do stadiums at this point? Kevin Hart. Th- two, three? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's so two hard. Two or three, it's tough. Dixon, do you understand that you're asking for obnoxiousness by doing stadiums? No, no, no. You can, you can want no, no, it. I understand. You gotta no, be that no, good. No, by the way, by the way, yeah. I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. I do think it's an obnoxious right, right, right. ass. So, so, so yeah, man, you gotta, you gotta get up on stage as much as possible. You have to be the best in your city, state, country. You gotta be one of the best comedians in the world. So you gotta devote your life to it. Oh, okay. Are you, are okay. you getting up every night? Oh yeah, I, yeah, I've been I've been writing you know, you know random thoughts you know meeting random people and creating situations in a way that I no, can. No, but, are you, in my but are you are you getting and on stage? And we gotta talk every about night. these situations you've been creating. <laughs> Go ahead. Are you getting on stage every night, man? Uh, oh no, I've just been stage you know maximum three times. You know, I, I'm an Indian student. Okay, good. You know, have have been here in US since last three months and. And since three months, I've been on stage three times. So, you know, it's That's, a kind of freedom that gives me to go on the stage. So, right yeah, now. man, you I'm just do that. everything you can. You got to get up on stage every night and you got to do multiple sets a night. So that that's it. And record your sets, listen to your sets, make notes. And every single day you got to monitor that and you got to make sure you you write and or verbally record your thoughts and workshop your material and build your set and make it really, really tight. Dixon, are you how's it felt on stage the three times you've been on? I didn't get you to get it. Can you can you repeat? Of course. How how did it feel the first three times? How'd it go? Did it go well? You know, I give you a lot of credit. So many people stay at zero. So I'm, you got me fired up right now that you've done it three times and you've only been in the U.S. for three months. Like you've got me a little excited right now. I was just curious. How did it go? Oh, it it was amazing. It was a cultural awesome. event. I went on the stage in front of one thousand people, and you know I have Whoa. you know developed a knack knack where you know I can come up with the on the spot you know. Uh, topics and on the spot stand up topics which which bursted people to laugh at the first He's time when I went on the, the stage. Like Gary. So so you know at, at all at all you know it, this is a gut feeling for me entrepreneurship and uh, stand up comedy. Dixon, I want you to email me at Gary at VaynerMedia, and when you perform in New York, I'm coming. Sure, sure. That's oh crazy. <laughs> I'm coming. Where are you now? Oh, I'm in Arizona, Tempe, Phoenix. I'm a grad student at ASU. Okay, fantastic, man. You Gary at VaynerMedia, send me an email, okay? Yeah, sure, sure. You, you, you can stay at my apartment, man, please. Okay, I'm going to come to your apartment. I'm going to stay there. Tyler, book it. <laughs> All right, Dixon, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Dixon, when you come to New York and that you stand up, crazy. I'll be there. Cool, no you problem. You can stay in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> He's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dixon is funny. <laughs> hey, guys, I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Gary Vee Experience. Now go out and share this, pass it on, let me know what you thought.